everyone, and welcome to the Fire on Ice podcast, the official podcast for FireOnIceSoccer.com. This is Ryan Voiles, and joining me as always is my friend, colleague, and fellow Chicago Fire fan, Jeff Engelhart. Jeff, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday night? I'm doing pretty good. I'd like to apologize to everybody for the late podcast. Um, as we mentioned in a couple tweets, it's just been, you know, a chaotic time with a two-year-old and a one-month-old, and, you know, it can just, it can drain you down eventually. So, uh, sorry about the delay, but we are here, and I'm excited to uh, still get one in this week. Yeah, absolutely. I was a little worried there for a bit that we weren't able to get squeezed in a podcast here, but thankfully the stars have aligned. The babies have calmed down a little bit, and so we are here now live via Zoom, and we are recording. And like I said, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. We have not rehearsed this podcast all that much. So really, as um, a horrible man once said, we're doing it. Screw it. We're doing it live. That's right. Yeah, we're going to kind of wing it. But uh, I think it'll turn out okay. Um, it's been about a, a quarter way through the MLS season so far. There's a lot of pieces out there about people just kind of surveying the league, seeing what's kind of popped up as the main storyline. So we figured we would take this opportunity to talk about the fire season as a whole to this point and kind of what the big um, issues or, or topics have been coming up in the first quarter of the year. You, you sort of get a feel for the team at this point. So we're starting to figure out who this team is um, heading into the meat of the season. That's right. The fire have hit the quarter of the season mark, um, and they enter it with a record of 3-3-3, three, three, and three. good for 12 points, and they currently sit in sixth place in Eastern Conference, good for the final playoff spot. So overall, Jeff, um, we'll, we'll touch on the LA game on Sunday here in a little bit, but first of all, kind of what are your overall thoughts on what you've seen so far in the first nine matches from this team? Well, in our preseason podcast, we were talking about this team. You know, I, I had them at seven right outside of the playoffs. Right now they're sitting at six. They're three, three, and three, which is pretty much the definition of mediocre. And I, I think that's a fair fair assessment of the team. Um, they've looked really good at times, uh, especially at home. Uh, and while they have looked good on the road, they've just really failed to produce anything. And until you start producing on the road, you're just going to be an average team in this league. So, um I think it, they're sitting in a fair spot in the standings, and uh, it's gone about as expected for me so far. I think that's fair. You know, when we were doing the preseason rankings, of course, um, we didn't know that they would be bringing in Bastian Schweinsteiger so early in the season. So that has definitely changed up the makeup of this team and shook up what our predictions were at the beginning of the year. So at 3-3-3, three, 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 12 points, you can't be too upset in a vacuum looking at 12 points in nine matches, averaging more than a point a match. That's acceptable. That will get you around the lower end of the playoff spectrum. So, But if you look at the way the Fire have played, and you touched on it, especially on the road in this last match against L.A. at L.A. Yeah, I didn't think after the New York game, you know, they played such a great game and they left with no points. And I figured, you know, you can't really get worse than that in terms of playing well and not getting anything. But they won up themselves uh, in that L.A. game because they, I mean, that first half 
was absolutely, it, it was a thorough beatdown. I mean, LA looked completely outmatched, completely. And the fact they gave away a two-goal lead in the second half to a team that looked that bad in the first half, that, that's, that's unacceptable. I mean, that, even though they took one point, I think that game frustrated me more than the New York game did. I think both games are frustrating in their own sort of way. The New York game was just frustrating because you, the fire had so many missed opportunities in that game where they could have leveled things if not taken the lead. And LA it was a it was kind of, it was case as you said they took a two zero lead in the halftime. Everyone on Twitter was writing the Googleies for the Galaxy, talking about how they needed to blow up that team and start over. And the fire looked like they're on call nine. And then sure enough, especially carrying the 2 nothing lead and the Galaxy going down both Van Dam and Jermaine Jones, who both were subbed off in the first half. But somehow, somewhere or the other, L.A. came out of halftime and just absolutely dominated the fire all, in all facets of the game, the final 45 minutes. And they were able to level things up and end up salvaging a point. And the fire ended their three-game road trip which we admitted was going to be a really difficult road trip looking at the opponents, but they walk away with only one point in three matches. And I don't think you can say that's anything else but a massive disappointment, especially with the way they played in two of those three matches. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a big disappointment. Um, but again, I'm, I think the thing that was so frustrating for me in L.A. was that while L.A. was definitely much better in the second half and, and they did control the possession a little more, I didn't think the fire were dominated. I mean, again, we saw Nico especially get that chance, and he was offside again, and that would have been a winner right there. They would have won the game. But again, offside, and just stupid mistakes like that. And both LA goals, it's not like it was some beautiful Giovanni Dos Santos interplay with Yassi's artists in the run of play. It was just sloppy defending on set pieces, which is a very 2016 thing to do for the fire. Um, that's what makes it so frustrating. But, you know, L.A. didn't kill them with their skill. They just killed them because it was really poor defending on set pieces once again. Looking back, I may have overstated the L.A. second-half performance over the fire, but there's no doubt that the Galaxy, I thought, were the better side at second half. Yeah, they de- I mean, they definitely were, were getting into a groove and, and everything. But I still feel like the fire could have taken all three points in that one and they just they let the opportunity slip. No, I mean, when you have a 2 nothing lead in the second half, there's absolutely no reason you should not leave with three points in that match. That's just a given. That's just kind of – that's just embarrassing, especially – as I said, uh, it, was, it was depressing. It was a real depressing match to watch a lot, and especially having to stay up till 11.30 at night on Saturday night and just get ruined the night. Right, right. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a depressing, frustrating way to end the night. Um, but blowing that second half lead kind of takes us into one of the more overarching storylines of this uh, first quarter of the season, and that's Belchko Panovic, who we knew this was going to be a big year for him, and it was time for him to prove whether or not he was going to be the guy for the job. And this team just doesn't look like they know how to play with the lead. And it continues to struggle every time they get a lead. Even in the games they've won this season, um, they just look uncomfortable when they get a lead. And you have to start asking 
some pretty legitimate questions about Panovich, I think, and whether or not he's capable of kind of turning that issue around in time. Yeah, this was a big topic of ours in the preseason, especially talking about Panovic wondering whether he was going to be the coach that the fire needed, or he was a coach that was going to lead the fire to respectability and to a playoff spot. And it just seems like there's been a recurring theme that when the fire do take a lead, this team seems to really get in the habit of bunkering down, taking their foot off the gas pedal, whatever other cliche you want to say. It just seems as though they do not do very good coming out of the locker room in the second half and making the necessary adjustments to close out these games. And I don't know if that's Ponovic, and it's just a failure on his side, if he's not putting the players on the best side. If it's just the players aren't good enough to do it, I don't know. Like Either way, I don't think it will kill on the coach to see this become a recurring theme. Yeah, I'm not one to put a lot of issues on a coach, but I, I do put this one on Ponovic, I think, because his substitutions remain questionable a lot of times, and I think Saturday was another big example of that. I don't understand how you take David Akam off with about a half hour left in the game. Uh, David Akam made the MLS team of the week and he only played 60 minutes. That's how good he was in the 60 minutes he was on the field. That MLS considered him one of the best 11 players, even though he didn't play the whole game. Why you take him off? I have no idea. He was the best player on the field for the fire. Now, has Ponovic said anything? Did he, I haven't seen the, any of the post-game comments. Did he say anything? No, I, I don't think he did. Um, he may have, and I may have missed it. Um, I didn't see him. But, I mean, David Akam looked pretty angry when he got subbed off, and rightfully so. I mean, I'm not sure what else Ponovic was wanting him to do for him to stay on the field. But um, it just didn't really make sense. And uh, in the end, you know, the fire lacked that dynamic that Akam brings and it cost them the game. I mean, you could argue that it cost them the game. So, again, I, like you said, I don't know if it's because he's just inclined to take super cautious approaches when they get a lead or what it is, but it's a problem. So, being a little more proactive, where are we wanting to see? Is this – let me throw this to you. I know some people on Twitter were talking about this, and they were wondering how long of a leash do you give Ponovic when this becomes a recurring issue. And I understand, as our listeners probably know, you do most of the tweeting from our handle. And it sounds like you think the entire season. Can you explain a little bit of why you think he should be given the entire year to prove himself and show that this isn't just, I mean, this isn't going to be a recurring issue? Right. And everything comes with a little bit of a, you know, caveat, if you will. Obviously, if the wheels completely fall off this thing, you don't need to wait till the end of the season. But, you know, barring some sort of massive implosion, um, I think you do give them the whole year, and for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> one, I think one of the reasons Schweinsteiger came was because of Panovich, at least from all the reports. You know, we heard about how great the two hit it off during the whole courtship process, how Schweinsteiger bought in during that like 18 hour dinner or whatever the hell they had. Um, so Panovich played a big role in getting Schweinsteiger here. Panovich, after his first year, made a lot of changes. They got Dax, they got Janino. You have to think that this was the team Panovich envisioned uh, that he wanted to coach. 
So now he has his team. And I think that it, he deserves more than, you know, nine games or 15 games or even 20 games to see if he can complete his vision and get the best out of this team. You owe it to him to have more than nine games or 15 games or even 20 games to see if he can kind of complete his vision. Clearly he felt that this combination of players could be something and they should fit his system. And I think that we just have to see if he has what it takes to get the most out of it. And we should know by the end of the year whether or not he can, because if you can't do it with the guys you bring in, there's no reason to keep you around. So I would completely support his dismissal at the end of the year if this team disappoints, if these kind of issues like we've been seeing on the road continue. Um, obviously, I'm cheering for him. I want him to do well. I want him to improve on the issues that we've seen. But like I said, unless it really implodes, um, you know, I, I think you owe it to him. And I was checking back uh, even last year, and, and, you know, good teams in this league go through these kind of spells. Uh, FC Dallas lost three in a row. I think the Red Bulls started something like one in six last year. Seattle lost three in a row. Um, you know, these good teams go through stretches where they don't look very good. So I think we're, it's just a little bit quick to start calling for Panovic's head when he has only had nine games to really play with the team that he's been wanting to put together since he's gotten here. So I just want to see him kind of play this out um, unless, again, there's something catastrophic. I think that's a fair assessment. You give him – if things go as bad as they do, as they are right now with the road woes, I think around August you start asking the question of whether or not you want to keep him around. But for now, I'm going to wait and see your approach on what you do with Bonovic. And I, I do understand people's concern about it um, because obviously Schweinsteiger is getting up there and he's only here for, you know, maybe this year. Dax McCarty is kind of the same way. He's not getting any younger. Juninho is on loan, so he could leave. So, you know, this, these guys might not be around for very long, so you want to strike while the iron's hot. So I get it. So if in August, like you said, the team is still struggling, but they're kind of within striking distance of the playoffs and you think a change like that can make the difference, you know, you can go ahead and do it because you want to make that push for the playoffs. But in an ideal world, um, Panovic gets the whole year. Um, I, I, I would like to see it happen, but um, I do fully understand why people do have a little bit of a itchy finger when it comes to uh, pulling the trigger on Panovic. And as much as we talk about the road woes, one thing that has been nice to see and was been able to keep the fire higher up in Eastern Conference standings has been their effort so far at home. They've, they've won three of their four home matches. You can say it wasn't against the best competition. I don't think that's inaccurate to say. But they look good at home. They look like a team that can kind of follow the old MLS adage of taking three points at home and getting one point on the road to success. So, I don't know, what, what do you see? Does this team play differently at home than what you're seeing on the road, or is it just the level of competition that they've played? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, honestly, on the road, they've still kind of shown that ambition to go out there and try to win. I think that they still try to play with um, their foot on the gas on the road um, a little bit more than what we've seen in the past. 
but at home they just seem to have more confidence or maybe more urgency in trying to get in trying to get goals and in finishing uh, they just seem more comfortable uh, it, it really just seems more like a mental hurdle hurdle than a stylistic one uh, when it comes to these road games but the the home the home games have definitely been one of the bright spots of the year so far um, when we're talking about you know we talked about some of the the problems of the first nine games, but there's been a lot of good too. And their home form is definitely one of those things. Um, Nemanja Nikolic, you know, he's scoring a lot of goals. His offsides um, issue is mm. a big problem, but he is scoring goals and that's been nice to see. David Combs looked really good lately. Um, obviously bringing in Schweinsteiger was the biggest story of the first nine games and that's been great. So there's been a lot to like about the first nine games too. Um, but there are issues, and uh, they do need to be solved. I cannot disagree with anything you just said. Um, and we said the fire, they'll get a chance to show off some of them home prowess this weekend where they're going to be taking on the Seattle Sounders side that's going to be looking to rebound from a shell shack and they got at home last weekend against Toronto FC. And the fire saw firsthand just how good this Toronto side can be so it'll be interesting to see how the fire do. They, you know, telling going forward with uh, some more difficult teams in the coming months. Yeah, uh, Seattle's another team that's been really up and down, and they kind of always are that way early on in the year. They kind of like how the Galaxy usually are. Well, the old Galaxy teams, this Galaxy team might just be down all year. I don't know. But, um, yeah, you know, I think Seattle's still a very, very good team, and, and they'll get it going. But, they're beatable right now. I mean, they haven't really put it all together yet. And uh, I think the Fire have a chance. Like you said, they've played really well at home. And, uh, you know, speaking of the Fire, Fireman going by the house here. But, um, yeah, I think I think they can beat Seattle. Uh, obviously, the Sounders are going to want to go out and get a result after taking that loss at home. But um, there's no reason to think that the Fire won't be – super motivated after having such a bad road trip. So um, I actually do think they're going to win on Saturday. I'll be interested to see. I definitely think they have a good chance. You know, I like what, they, I like what I've seen from them at home. And regardless of how crappy the results have been the last two weeks, there's been a lot to like when watching the fire in New York and L.A. So hopefully they can bring that back home with them and get back on the right track. There is one thing, though, that just happened recently before the quarter of the season here wrapped up, and that was the closing of the transfer window. Uh, the fire obviously did not make any moves. Uh, were, you know, obviously, people were clamoring for a right back. That didn't happen. Uh, you know, how do you feel about it? Are you disappointed? Are you worried about it? Or are you okay with it? A part of me is really disappointed in it because we've talked in the past about the need for right back. And I, the club has acknowledged the need for right back. But a part of me is also curious to see what they have in-house and whether or not they can address it that way. You and I have both been big on Matt Polster and seeing whether he's a potential candidate to fill the right back slot. Um, we saw against the Galaxy, they put a Drew Connor there at right back. And I don't know about you. I thought I thought he played decently. He didn't really do too much, but he didn't actively hurt the team. 
which in itself is an improvement at right back for the fire this year. For me personally, I'm okay with seeing what they have in house and seeing whether they can address the right back situation. But I wouldn't have necessarily been upset if they got someone. I don't know, am, am I off on this, or are you, th- are you thinking the same way? Yeah, I'm, r- I'm right with you. I wasn't too upset with it. I think um, it's okay. Obviously, I'm ready to move on from Michael Harrington, but you know, Matt Pulser hasn't even had a crack at it yet because of his injury, so I'm still more than happy to see what he can do there. And again, you know, the window opens again in, what, July? You know, it, it'll be open before you know it. And if it's still an issue, they'll have another chance to get somebody. So I wasn't, um, you know, freaking out about their lack of movement. So I think it'll be okay. Agreed. And another thing they did not address in the transfer window was goalkeeper. I guess I just didn't expect them to really address the goalkeeper issue because I know Panovic likes Lamson, and I don't think he's lost faith completely in Jorge Baba yet. So I wasn't really expecting them to make a move and I don't expect them to make a move at all this year, even in the next window. So um, I wasn't disappointed because I didn't expect it, but I also, I think I've seen enough of Matt Lamson from last year and this year to just know that he's, he's just, you know, at at his best, he's going to be an average goalkeeper in this league. He's a good backup goalkeeper. He's not something you cry, but he'll do well in a pinch. Right. Right. I think that's fair. So I'm not really ecstatic with either of them starting regularly, but you know, I, Panovich obviously likes them more than I do. And so they see something in them. And I guess I just, I'm not expecting them to make a change at that position. So I wasn't disappointed. Um, I've just come to terms that, you know, the team's going to have a pretty average goalkeeper back there. And you just hope that the pairing of Kapoff and Mira can protect the goalkeeper, whoever it may be in the back. Because it feels like. Yeah. Otherwise, defensively, I don't think there's a lot of issues outside of right back and goalkeeper so yeah yeah I think Myra and Kapilov have been pretty good this year they've been pleasant surprises so all right and Jeff we should address it before we head out here um fire twitter was uh been on a bit of flame earlier with a interview that Bastian Schweinsteiger gave where he may or may not have bashed the ML you know bashed MLS and he may or may not have bashed Panovic in his coaching ability. Um, are you familiar with the interview? I am familiar with the interview, and I had a very different take, I guess, from most people. Uh, his answers made me think that he could come work for Fire on Ice because it was a pretty chill take, in my, in my opinion. So if Bastian Schweinsteiger ever wants to uh, you know, swing in, he seems to have the kind of chill takes we like here. Uh, I didn't think he really bashed the league or the team or threw anyone under the bus. He pretty much said that people in Germany and England know how to kick the soccer ball around a lot better than people in the U.S., and that is an accurate statement. No, I don't think there was any hot take at all from what he said. So I think he was very fair. And in regard to this whole Ponovic thing, essentially it was some comment about how they weren't able to take what they – talk about in the locker room and actually put it onto the field, which I don't really see as a knock on Panovic. I think it's more a comment on the quality of play in MLS. Am I, am I wrong on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the most confusing part of the 
the reaction on Twitter that confused me the most was this idea that Schweinsteiger threw Panovich under the bus, or really anybody. Um, you know, when he said that they talk about these things in the dressing room and then they don't execute it on the field, they don't implement what they talk about. I feel that's more of a commentary on the fact that the players just aren't good enough to execute what they talk about sometimes. And he, you know, I think it works the same for the opponents, you know, like his opponents aren't as good either. Just everything isn't what he's used to, which makes perfect sense. I don't think he was saying that Panovich has bad ideas or he's not a good coach. I think he's saying we have a plan and we fail to implement it because, you know, we're just, the quality isn't as good, which is true. I mean, no one would argue that even people in the MLS would immediately tell you that the premier league is better. That's not a mystery. I thought his comments were nothing more than German bluntness, the kind of thing you'd expect. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I, I was fine with it. I, I, I didn't understand the reaction, but you know, the Chicago fire Twitters that, that good old CF 97 hashtag. It can be an interesting place sometimes. It is a magical world. And I do love delving into it from time to time. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think we covered a lot of the, the big uh, stories that you, I guess we could have spent a whole, a whole 10 minutes on Michael Harrington and how that's a problem, but, you know, we don't need to. So, good. there's been good things. You know, Nemanja Nikolic is good at scoring goals when he's not outsides. David Akam has been very good. Bastian Schweinsteiger is amazing. Dax McCarty is amazing. Um, lots of good. Uh, the team doesn't know how to play with the lead. That's bad. <laughs> Uh, some issue the win at home. That's good. That's good. Right. So it's been a mixed bag, which is uh, how you end up at three, three, and three. And we could have also spent a whole lot of time talking about the addition of Schweinsteiger, but I feel we've already touched on that in past podcast. And you can find all those past podcasts as well as this one on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcast. So. I don't know about you, Jeff, but I think that about covers it. Yeah, uh, I'll just give a quick Seattle prediction. I'm going to say Chicago Fire 3, Seattle 2. High-scoring game. I'm going to go 3-3 draw. Okay. I think Seattle's quality is enough where they can at least get a point. And the Fire's many road woes will follow them home for at least one match. But they will bounce back and beat Colorado the week after. I'm calling it now. All right. Everyone, go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. Always helps us out. Let's just know what you guys think. So subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcast. Read our stuff on fireoniceSoccer.com or follow us on Twitter at fireoniceSoccer. Join me as always as Jeff Engelhart. This is Ryan Boyles, and go fire. This mess was your now your mess is mine